This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to part two of the leadership episodes of Glowing in Tech with Renee Hunt. Last week, we spoke to Renee about her journey into leadership and how she became the Chief Technology Officer of Compare the Market. We also spoke to her about the challenges she faced in her early career. Something that you've spoken about a few times is mentorship and kind of that seems to have played a big part in how you've, um, your career and like your trajectory. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that something that can be tricky is like both finding a good mentor, but also like maintaining relationships and and knowing where to look for mentors. So definitely. I mean, I don't know that I, I, well, um, I had a um, I've been married once before. My ex-husband's dad was a very, very successful man. And he was successful in business as well. So he was my first sort of role model. And I was the only one of his, you know, extended children base that even cared about that. So he was happy to to mentor me. Now, he's my father-in-law. I don't we didn't call it that, but I when I look back on the kinds of conversations that I had with him that weren't about family. It was mentoring, you know, read these books, do these things, learn to play golf, blah, 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 blah. Here's how a board works. I mean, I grew up working class in America. I didn't know what boards were, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't know black people could be on them. And he was on like massive boards. And I'm like, you get paid to take a meeting five days a year? <laughs> like, yeah, he got paid more than me to take meetings five days a year. <laughs> you tell a girl how this works. Um, and so that was my first mentor. And I think... That allowed, and he talked about his mentors and the people he mentored. So that was like the first, in like introduction, I had to mentoring, and that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, will be forever grateful for that. And then over time, I've collected people that I've either worked for or worked with, and at, and when that relationship was broken, I asked them to mentor me so that I could keep them in my lives. I think it's really difficult to ask your boss to mentor you because it just is a weird dynamic, yeah. right? Mm. Sponsor you? Yes. Mentor you? No. And I need mentors who have nothing to gain from what they're going to tell me or from the relationship, like other than the the feeling it gives them inside to, mm-hmm. to share and help somebody else, um, which is fabulous, by the way. So I always mentor other people because it just makes me feel really good to watch them succeed mm-hmm. and to know you're like, I raised that one. That one's all right. That one's cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> that one will be okay. Um, so my mentors have been, I have usually have a couple at a time. Um, uh, I'll be really honest, almost I've had like two black mentors in my whole career and I'm on 37 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, you know, white men are in the rooms that are making decisions and mentors should also be looking out for opportunities for you, mm-hmm. you know, so make peace with that until we overcome, um, make peace with that because there won't be enough black or female mentors to go around. And if you have a good chemistry with somebody or you work for somebody who actually cares about you and wants to see you succeed, shouldn't care what for sure. For Sometimes you have to educate them. Mm-hmm. They say stupid things like they don't care what color you are. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't the reason. I'm like, mm-hmm, no. And that, you know, having somebody who can talk about intersectionality is helpful, but it's more helpful to have somebody who truly cares about you. Yeah. Mm. Right. And I mean, I had a meltdown with my mentor not long, like a while back, not since I joined TTM. (laughs) But I mean, I called him in a panic when I was promoted saying, I can't do this. And he's like, it's not like you to have imposter syndrome. I'm like, it's not imposter syndrome. It's like, I can't do it. <laughs> Don't know anything about this and this and this and this. He's like, well, you can learn, duh. Um, but he's known me long enough that I could call somebody and have a meltdown. Yeah. And no, that's not going anywhere, except I just told everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, proper nonsense, you know, shaking. Oh, no. Yeah, that's important mm-hmm. because you can't always be confident and bold when you're making these big decisions and you're trying to figure out where you fit and and you're having to learn um so yeah and you have to be able to tell somebody like i don't know what i'm doing like if Mm. you do that in your organization i would hope that most organizations are mature enough um and caring enough to recognize that's your emotion speaking Mm -hmm. or it might even be reality right but I wouldn't do it. Like I would not share to that level to anyone for whom that puts them in a difficult position. Because if they're a director in an organization, for example, and you tell them, I've been given this financial ledger and I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm Googling it every five seconds to do it, they may now have a risk that they have to manage somehow with that information. It's like, don't be sharing that. Share that with your mentor. Because they don't have to do anything with it but talk you off a ledge and say things like, most people Google everything. (laughs) And is that why you say? I learned to code before there was YouTube. Oof. Uh, No. (laughs) I don't know if we could do that. No. (laughs) There is no way. books. (laughs) There is no. I I actually can't comprehend (laughs) how people use the code. Honestly, I learned to code where you didn't know if it ran. Yeah. Until it was compiled. Yes, honey. <laughs> and then you would find out that you missed a paren on line two of code that's this Yeah, literally. Yeah. It's just about to kill yourself. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so would you say that coding is relatively easier? No. Oh. No, because there's so much more to know. Yeah. There's so much more to know. Like, I, I think that's a fool's game to go. Back in my day, it was hard. I think there were fewer resources. Code was much simpler in many ways so in other ways it was hard um no i don't think in i don't think it's fair to draw comparisons Mm -hmm. yeah so have you faced any um barriers when it came to leadership what's been your story in terms of that wow 
Well, like I said, we were talking earlier and I'm like, all y'all women now are living in Disney World. Yeah, (laughs) that is what was said. Um, That's right. We paved the way. They really have. (laughs) It's um, barriers. I think the big barriers are a lot to do with perception, a lot to do with how organizations think about leadership and managerial roles. And, And then hopefully people are not so obtuse to have a picture in their head. But often, like I've worked in organizations where leadership was really challenging because there was like an order. Mm -hmm. He's next, right? You'd have somebody who is outstanding and doing a great job, but this guy's been waiting patiently and they're already a level ahead of them Mm -hmm. and they're next. And so, and I find that quite claustrophobic. Mm. Um, I took myself out of corporate life for a long time and ran my own, call it contracting, call it consulting. I didn't, I didn't distinguish. I, people called me a contractor, but I acted like a consultant and I earned like a consultant. (laughs) So, you know, girl. So I think, and I did that because I didn't want, I didn't want to participate in that. Like, it just felt ridiculous. And I think in the UK, it feels like it's different than in America. But I think the biggest challenge is how organizations think about opportunity. And, you know, they, they, they don't have open, um, you can't apply. Sometimes the roles aren't even um, published. Mm. So I would say look for organizations, especially if you're in a big company, that publish roles. And go on the interviews, even if you don't have a chance, even if you don't think you can have a chance because it's good practice. And the feedback you get in an end of year is about you right now, right? And if a company is really progressive, it might be about your potential. It's different than the feedback you get for that specific role when you go for an interview. And here's where you're lagging. Here's Mm -hmm. where your gaps are. That's priceless. Yeah. Because then you know what you need to work on if what you want to do is that next role. And then I would say be choosy when you're talking to organizations about, you know, ask questions. Do you advertise all your roles? What about senior leadership roles? Do those get advertised? Because often those are like a little committee and we decide it's going to go to that person. Or they'll say it's going to go to that person, but we'll advertise it so that it feels fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just want to hang your head. So yeah. I think those are the barriers that if we're going to be a competitive nation and there's so much work mm-hmm. that we have to do to bring the UK back into a competitive stance and to a growth stance, we can't leave any of our talent behind. And if we think that talent all have the same background, shape, experiences, we will leave our talent behind. We absolutely will. I have a man working for me who um, never went to university and he's one of my senior directors. And he, nobody would question his ability to do what he does. He's done a lot of work to learn about business, to raise his other skills. And he's learned by doing to be one of the best software engineers I've ever met. Right now, back in the old days, he wouldn't have made it past the CV mm-hmm. because he doesn't have a two one. What a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. What a bunch of nonsense. And then some organizations wouldn't even consider a person like that for senior leadership because he never went to university. 
And I'm like, okay, that might be true if he hadn't filled in gaps around knowledge in marketing, knowledge in accounting, knowledge in finance, not the things that make you credible as a director. But you shouldn't have to go to university to, or MBA school, as I did, to fill in those gaps. It's just nonsense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I think, I hope as a country, we become way more inclusive and look at the talent of the person and look at their skills rather than some piece of paper that is probably what about that guy in America that just made up his CV? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, honestly, that would never happen to a black woman. They'd be checking your checking everything. Yeah, everything like, reference. You know, but like like some, you know, set of references. I hope I'm um, I'm really optimistic that we have to do it because we don't have people, you know, killing themselves. Well, that's not true. We do. But we don't we can't um import talent as easily as we used to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really help develop the talent we have in this country. And the great news is we have a very multicultural con country. We have people with all kinds of lived experiences that will bring all kinds of skills to the table. We can't just say only those people are leaders. It's just garbage. Yeah, absolutely. Garbage. So what would you say to those early stage, early career devs who have those gaps um, how would I start how to become? early? How uh, early? Because I'm like, when you're early career dev, dev, right? Like, yeah. be the best darn engineer and throw yourself into the stuff that scares you and try to acquire skills or appreciation for the skill, right? Because the more rounded you are, like, I, I love people who are either comb shaped or T-shaped. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. my T-shaped, deep in one area, but knowledge of a wide. Mm -hmm. And then comb-shaped might be, I dabble in a bit of this, and I can do a bit of that, and I do it one. It makes you really employable. Two, it makes you very fungible is one of my favorite words. I have to yell at my finance director. My people are not fungible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're not going to have a, you know, a nose surgeon do your vasectomy. No, you're not. But they're both doctors. They both went to med school. Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah. stop it. So, but if you can allow yourself to have a few different skill sets, that's helpful. It gives you the ability to do jobs that require you to be broad, mm -hmm. right? But I would say be good, right? So resist the temptation to become a BA. Nothing wrong with being a BA, but if you did a boot camp to learn to code, code, give yourself a chance. Yeah. I met a woman, I met a woman um, about 10 years ago. And she went to Makers, and she had been a professor, university professor, and decided to career change into writing code. Amazing, mm -hmm. right? And she was she was frustrated because a lot of the other entry level, like first careers devs, were way faster than her. And un unhelpfully, her boss was like, "She's a bit slow." Mm. right and my question back to her was are you accurate like is are you slow and your code is riddled with bugs and the answer was no code's really good and I'm like oh don't worry about it you'll get faster right making you have higher quality is harder yeah. than yeah. getting you comfortable with a language where you can write it a bit faster Okay. Right now, she's got a phenomenal career, right? And she went deeper. She was like, I'm going to go back in. I'm going to do all this shit. So she's like, 
doing proper engineering, but she was at that weird point where she could have very easily been talked into, maybe I could be a BA, maybe mm -hmm. I could be a, a TA, maybe I could be, and I'm like, it's too early. By BA, to be business analyst. Business analyst. Yeah. Or a technical analyst or a product manager. or all. And there's like, I want product managers who have coded. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. I want... I want everybody, like, I think coding should be like reading and you learn it in school and everybody has a small appreciation for it because it's 2023 and like, whatever, we don't teach people pen quilling anymore. We should be, be do they teach cursive in school anymore? It's a good question. I, I don't know, but they do teach coding. So we are like that. that coding, thing. not cursive. <laughs> then we can write in a secret language that our younger children don't understand. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think... It's a basic skill. And then from there, you go on to do other things. And there's no like there's no shame or disrespect for people who decide, I don't love software engineering. It's not for me. Like, look, I left it, right? I'm going to go do this. My worry is that, especially for women and women of color, for whatever reason, there isn't the same level of grace and patience Absolutely. for how we learn. Mm, yeah. And I'm like... Let's be clear. Women invented this industry. It is <laughs> ours. There would be no code if there was not women in every decade after Ada. Like, get real. So the idea that somehow our brains don't naturally. Like, this is, It's such a ludicrous bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, but we do come to it differently. And when it's men who are evaluating, they don't often appreciate it. And that's my worry. Like, yeah. I want y'all to hurry up and get through makers and get to be seniors and principals and staff engineers. So people go, leave her alone. She's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Leave her alone. She's fine. You back over there. Yeah. Um, because I think that's how we're going to build up the, the. So my advice is hang in there. Give yourself the grace to be a bit crap. Do like 100 days of code. Big fan of 100 days of code because it's self it's your own pace. You get like, this is it. This is it. Okay. So when I was in school, I was really bad at maths. I did them. I shouldn't say that. I did. I wasn't bad at maths. I just found it really hard. Mm -hmm. And I decided that because it was hard, I was bad at maths. Yeah. And then I listened to uh, the very, very dishy Dr. Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox, on a podcast. And he said, Oh, when I left being a pop star, I went back to university and yeah, I really have to, he said, I, I really had to like work at maths. And he said, but everybody has to practice maths. It's not natural. And it was like, I was like 40 something years old and really like my, you know, they say I was 48 years old when I learned, days old, <laughs> years old when I learned that you have to practice math to be good at it. Yeah. Well, you have to practice writing code to be good at it. Yeah. yeah. You have to, yeah. right? It's a very rare individual who's naturally good at writing like code that works first time. Is there such a thing? I've not seen it in Only person yet. Only if you copied off of Google. <laughs> <laughs> Even then. <laughs> code that works first time. So give yourself that grace. And then if you want to go into leadership, mentorship is important. Where can you practice leadership at every part of your career, right? So is there an event that's going on that you could lead something or be responsible for organizing it? Can you lead a guild? Can you lead a chapter? 
And these are good ways to learn people management, how to have empathy, how to listen. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> these are the things that make for good. And then read, like read everything, everything about what good leaders did and pay attention to what bad leaders do as well mm-hmm. and go, yeah, that didn't go well. Don't do that. <laughs> I've learned some of my best lessons for some pretty shocking leaders, like my own bosses where I'd go, yeah, that feels pretty awful. I'm never going to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it's just fired. And you know who you are. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so it is my favorite time on the podcast. You know me. It is What is the Tech Tea? Renee Hunt will be sharing her controversial take on the tech industry. So, Renee, spill it. What's the tea? So, my controversial take on the tech industry is less about the tech industry and more about business in general. And I think the issue I see in business is often they look at the resources, the the very valuable resources they have in tech, and think that they're somehow one-dimensional. And so whilst we're thinking about leadership, right, we're thinking traditionally leadership comes out of marketing, comes out of finance, comes out of operations, comes out of consulting, right? (laughs) Nobody's generally thinking about the leaders that can come out of tech Mm. or that the tech resource is so valuable because they can do this mystical, magical thing that we don't make the opportunities for them to go work in operations, work in commercial, work in marketing. And this to me is a thing that I I see it changing in certain kinds of industries, but not enough, right? Remember we were talking about code is a basic skill. We're in 2023. There is no business on this planet anywhere to include farming that isn't doesn't have some component of that business being uh, relying on some kind of technology or software. Mm-hmm. So why not? Like why aren't we seriously looking for the future leaders of our businesses regardless of what they are in tech? And here's the other thing. Um, the number of people I've worked with who tried to tell me how to do my job who are not in tech, when in fact, I have a degree in how to do their bo- job, right? Mm-hmm. I have a master's degree in business, but they may have written four lines of code in their life, but they're going to question our decisions we're making around deployment or how we're doing stuff. And I just find that gobsmacking. And again, it's this mentality that, you know, I don't understand business and more and worse, they think they're going to tell me how to do my job, like I'm some sort of agency or my job is to serve them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. So in my company, when I landed, I made it very clear that my attitude was we're a technology business. We're a fintech, the secrets in the name. <laughs> we are the business. Don't be talking to me about the business said. I'm like, we're the business. Yeah. Everything else is a support function. Let's get something very, except for marketing, because we love our meerkats. <laughs> Every marketing, like seriously, they sell. That's how we make money. <laughs> but the only way we can serve our customers is through technology. So we're the business. And I talk to my team all the time, like, my job is not to make you future CTOs. My job is to make sure one of y'all maybe runs our company. Why not? Mm-hmm. Right? So to this is to the the thing I still find it like, unless it's a tech business, people aren't thinking about technology people as leaders, nor are we providing the learning opportunities, right? So 
at some point in one of my leaders' career, I should be moving them into, into commercial or into marketing so that they can someday be the CEO. I can um, be the CEO. So why do you think Mark, that is I the case? Mark, I can be the CEO, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think that is the case? Why do you think that there isn't that kind of Because I think, remember, like back in the day, technology used to be a cost center. It used to be full of women, right? You mm -hmm. know, um, it reported to things like the chief operating officer or finance, right? Yeah, that's wild. There was no seat on the, there were no, there was no CTO, right? Like. CTO is a is a is a title that only became real in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was no seat in the exec. And and you just go, okay, so if all you're running is an accounting system off of a bit of software, I get that. But if we look at how business has evolved, you just go, really? So I think we're still as a as a Western culture, understanding that tech is as essential and central to business as finance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would argue more so, right? Soon we will automate finance, the tech people. We'll get rid of them. <laughs> Watch out, finance. Watch out. <laughs> but I think it's really curious. We can get into that. Like everybody's talking about automation and oh we're, you know the robots are coming for your jobs it's like hold on that's a middle class construct because if you talk to people who are in working class jobs the robots have been doing their jobs for 30 years mm -hmm. automation is not new and it's now that we're teaching creating automation that's smart enough to do what a a lawyer does mm. right now suddenly it's a problem I'm yeah. like no it's that that's that's where we're going we shouldn't be afraid but yeah like tech is at more relevant than jobs that i'm gonna automate yeah yeah and maybe like i think that's something that both you and i both kind of like wanted to make that move into software engineering because we wanted to have that future-proof career mm -hmm. and um yeah i can imagine that when as a technology person who's been in technology and been doing technical roles from the beginning, it might be less appealing to go across to the other side of the business. Like what, what would motivate me. me? I think it's too late for me, but I think we, you, I would, I would encourage you to have a broad, a broad vision for where mm -hmm. your career might go as a result of your foundation in tech. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's different than jumping out of code too early to take a tangential role, right? But I could see a career track that looked like this. I worked in tech and then I became a product manager. And product manager is one of the best jobs to train you to be a CEO because you got to do all the jobs, right? So you learn mm -hmm. a bit of finance, you build a bit of marketing, learn some operations, you damn sure learn commercial. So right there, you've now got the nucleus for running a business, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And then they go, mm, we're going to try you out in commercial, right? Like I would encourage us to be thinking broadly about tech as a foundation yeah. and you might love it if it's like if it makes your eyes sparkle and you spend up all night talking to other like people in hoodies at night talking about code <laughs> like probably you should stay in code right but this is the this could launch all kinds of different careers yeah. and be yeah. open to it because we need our future ceos we need our future coos to have a deep foundation in tech and not just the ones running Google, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not just them. <laughs> <laughs>
Amazing. Thank you so much. Are we done? Yeah, We're yeah, done. Honestly, the best. We didn't talk about anything juicy. <laughs> <laughs> no, if we want to hear more juicy, juicy things from juicy, you. Juicy, juicy. How no. can we keep up with you? How can we get in contact with you? Oh, what? my goodness. So I'm, uh, don't LinkedIn me. Honestly, LinkedIn is like this. It's overwhelming now. But I'm, I was going to, I was going to say I was on Twitter, but I'm about to jump. How do we stay in touch when all yeah. the social media is just I don't know. a cesspool? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Where are you jumping ship to? I don't know. So I used to have a public Instagram. I think I need to redo my Instagram, but I am on Twitter. So, and I'm still on Twitter. So you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Renee number 17 is my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. So look for me on there. Um, but I do need to figure out some sort of like staying in touch. And I'm actually thinking about starting a podcast. Oh, lovely. This has been lovely. Yeah. Let's take a picture of your setup to see how it's how it works. Yeah. Lord knows what I'll talk about. Let's <laughs> talk about everything. Yeah, we need all the juicy stuff. Let's yeah. <laughs> Spilling all the tea. I want to write a book, but I have to retire first because I'm not gonna hold back. It's gonna be like Harry, but on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you won't be sparing anyone because I still have the receipts. We <laughs> need a tech, we need a tech one. Oh, there's some really. There was one. I'm trying to think of the one, the consulting one. There was a consulting one that came out in the late '90s, and the thing was, it was written like fiction, mm-hmm. and it was a hundred percent true. And so there were like stories in it where I knew the people oh, who wow. were in the story. I was like, oh, but they wrote it like it was fiction. So they yeah. got away with it. Mm, Changed the names to protect the guilty. And it was, oh, my goodness. So we'll look out for your book. Then. I have to do that. <laughs> mm. I'll be like, true story. <laughs> I might name it that true story. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Glowing in Tech. I'm really excited to share some more community comments that have been happening across our socials based on the episodes we've released so far. If you haven't already, please do leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you're listening. It makes a massive difference and it would be great to hear your thoughts. On Adrian's episode of Pets a Threat, we had over 200 comments on TikTok, people saying that they agreed, that they had experienced this, they'd witnessed this, and a lot of people relating to the experience of being seen initially as a pet, and then as you gain competence and you're wanting to progress, people's unconscious bias impacting that and treating you as a threat. It's important to bear in mind that this isn't something that's your fault, this isn't something that is as a result of how you work or what you have done wrong. We highly recommend that people in this situation do what they can to advocate for themselves, but we also understand that not every situation can be remedied by you alone. So if it's costing you your health, psychological, physical, make sure that you are doing your best to keep your eye on other places. Because one overwhelming thing that we've seen from this video and the reactions that we've had is that it is a very common experience for especially black women and it's not your job to fix it. So if that workplace isn't doing it for you, you don't have to stay and tolerate it. There are places you can thrive and you will not always be treated as a threat in those places. We also had a lot of comments on our episode with Nelly and one that I loved is from Esther. She says, as an introvert myself, one-on-one communication can be incredibly powerful. It allows us to build deeper relationships with others and express ourselves more fully. And we love this because it's testament to the fact that you don't always have to conform to the majority. There is a way for you to shine and be just as valuable even in your silence and in your quietness, which I think is fantastic. As we saw with Nelly, an incredibly successful person who's able to do all that she does being an introvert. 
So that's all from Glowing in Tech. Make sure you're following us on socials. Get involved in these conversations. We love to hear it. We love to see it. And let us know what you thought of the episode. Thanks so much and see you next week. Goat guns are goat. Our miniature gun models will make you the center point of attention. Display them at your office desk, bookshelf, or man cave. Collect and customize goat guns to your own liking. Each goat gun model has intricate parts that snap together to assemble. Start your next hobby addiction at goatguns.com.